Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 78. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So it's finally here, Hats. The day you've been waiting for. What day? The Sunset Show for Set 9 Argent Depths. The Sunset Show? Does that mean that Set 9 is going away? <laughs> I I think so. We've just got to hold out for a couple more weeks. Oh, uh, I'm going to watch it smolder over the horizon. <laughs> and this long, dark nightmare. Will be over <laughs> <for me. laughs> oh, it's so pretty when it's when it's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've kind of been feeling that. I think, um, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I think one of the problems with this format is they had that, that middle section was just so long. Yeah, they didn't switch it up as often, and I, I, I didn't actually break this down into time chunks, but it felt like that middle section where the draft packs were weak was the longest by far. It, it was definitely the longest. Was it longer than both of the uh, of of the bookend formats put together, or did it just feel that way? <laughs> it's close. I yeah. Think. Okay. Well, um, who who knows why they did it that way? Um, but I think we can both agree that the first that if there were three main phases to this format, then the first and the third ones were the best. And entirely because the draft packs had a lot of playable cards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the, uh, yeah, and the second one was the longest and the yeah. worst. Though, I think there were some highlights. I mean, even though it wasn't our favorite, we did have the draft championship, um, sure. which was short and sweet for both of us. Yes. But uh, it was still kind of exciting that it happened. And I enjoyed it as a, concept and for the brief moment that i partook of it i think everything about it was great except that there's only one of it and there and therefore uh it felt like well one shot and you're done kind of a deal and it'd be great if they had things like that more often more more draft events in general i think we all enjoyed scion draft i mean some more than others but uh but but that was that was neat we, I, I think we all like the, the little hybrid draft formats uh, when a new set comes out where they they tease uh, a bunch of the commons um, and you play with them for about a week before the full set drops. And that's going to happen a week from, from this recording or e- even shorter, I think. I think actually Monday, so probably close to when this releases. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, anything really special they do with draft, not just like... Um, you know the big shifts where they where they uh, boost different cards and um, and that kind of thing. Uh, just just sort of treating draft like uh, the malleable and uh, experimental format that it it could be. I, I think is is fun and also having tournaments where you get to use your knowledge uh, in in some form other than the usual seven wins or three losses uh, format. You know. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I just um, I, I I would have enjoyed the draft championships a lot more if if it hadn't been the only one in the history of Eternal. <laughs> yes, 
And I, I also think this is sort of off topic to this, the sunset show of Argent Up specifically, but I think, I mean, this whole time period, a lot has changed. And I think, um, you know, and some really good things happen, like the draft championship. I do think, yes, having them more often would be really good. I also think if you're going to do buys like you did, it feels really bad, I think, for people who got a buy to just have a single, like, one round of, you know, for it to go straight into single elimination. Yeah. And so I think if you're going to do something like that, you really need to do something like they did at the World Championship, um, where there's, like, some kind of Swiss or something. Even if you, you know, you did three rounds of Swiss or something, you know, anything to, like... (laughs) Yeah, to to allow people who work so hard to play more than one, you know, have one bad. Yeah, because I certainly wasn't the only person who was who was seated, um, you know, high in the ranks at the beginning of the day and then lost in the first round. Uh, We all probably felt the same way. Like, oh, what did I do all this for? (laughs) Yeah, because it is a very no matter how good you are at draft, every single draft is a pretty high variance. Yeah. uh, situation um and then they had the draft championship in the middle of the most high variance of the draft form of of the ardent depths draft formats too so it was uh yeah my experience with it wasn't super positive because of that um and if i'd ended up on the positive side of variance it would have been a way better too um yes. so and uh, but that's that's how that's how variance is if there had been more than one game or if there had been swiss like you're saying then uh then none of that would feel would sting quite as much but since it since they did it that way um i'm hoping that they they uh consider all of these factors next time they do something like that so it um it's a little bit more of a rounded experience because i think it was exciting having it be this sort of single elimination for the viewers to watch um and so it succeeded in that sense uh but for the players, I think maybe the um, maybe the experience could have been better. Yeah, I I think particularly because of how the buys worked, it it was that way. You know, it felt really bad for like you and Shab who worked so hard to get there to immediately lose. As compared to me, because I got there through the qualifying round on Saturday, like I got the experience of playing twenty one games. Right the day before for the championship. So it felt like one big thing. So the fact that I lost round one didn't sting quite as badly because I got to play so much high level draft against really good players the day before. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my experience was much more drawn out because it was several months. (laughs) I think the better part of a year. And then yeah, I wasn't it, even allowed I mean, to play in the in the qualifying games because I was already qualified. Right. Yeah, it was eight months, you know, of qualify. There was eight qualification months. So yes, it was a very long time to be working for towards ten minutes of game time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, not what this show is about at all. No. Not this episode. <laughs> no, it's not though. Yeah, I, I do think it's. Of, I guess it was part of the Argent Depths general draft format. So yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on is the fact that they did have three sort of iterations of this format, and 
I do think it seems like they are learning and taking in feedback and changing things. So that is also making me feel positive towards the draft format. You know, like, I don't know why they did this, but, you know, in this current iteration of Argent Depths, there's only one boosted, you know, there's boosted or unboosted. And it's 10 times or one time, which is enough to make the 10 times come up a lot and then the one times would be a little spice and i think that's like a great place for them to have ended up yeah i agree it puts anticipation back into the list of skills that you can reasonably Mm -hmm. have uh while drafting because you can actually expect certain cards to come up um with a reasonable chance uh, whereas back back when it was like some are ten times, some are five times, and even some are like three times or whatever it was, six, three, two. It was three. <laughs> it was it was three, six, twelve for a while. Three, six, twelve for a while. Yeah, you can't even the twelve times cards. You can't really expect to see because there's all of these weird six and threes taking up their spots. Uh, so yeah, it didn't feel like the. It really didn't feel like things had a shape. Um, and if you were drafting towards any kind of strategy, you were a fool. Uh, <laughs> but now, yeah, this last format, um, and I and I gripe about it, but that's probably more to do with like where I'm at and how busy I am and how much energy I can put into Eternal. Um, but I, I I can't deny that um, this last iteration of the format uh, does have a shape and um, and coherent deck archetypes. And uh, enough power in the cards that you're not scrambling for playables. So all of the things that I want in a draft format, this last one uh, was indeed providing. Yes. And so that makes me hopeful for the future because it does seem like the trajectory is in a positive direction. They're I think so. They are making learning. changes and it's getting better. In general, they it's it's like two steps forward and then like three steps back and four steps forward and it's <laughs> in general a positive direction. But <laughs> uh, they have to keep relearning lessons over and over again, as we do as drafters. Yes. So uh, yeah, I guess that leads us. How was your draft week? My draft week was fine. Um, I, I'm not really playing Eternal every day. But I, I I put aside a couple of days to to take a few hours to draft, um, and I generally had a pretty positive experience. I'm not having as many sort of just uh, wipeouts like uh, zero threes and one threes. Um, so, but I, I was feeling like I was leading kind of a hard scrabble draft experience uh, existence, hard scrabble draft. Oh boy, <laughs> I was feeling I'm going to start over. <laughs> There's no reason for me to do this sentence the way I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to soldier ahead. <laughs> I felt like I was leading a hard scrabble draft existence, eking out five twos and six twos and the uh, five threes, six threes, the occasional seven two. Uh, but always sort of working for every game. Like, I never was hitting that uh, that deck that was like, oh, this is a really good deck, and I'm going to steamroll most people. Um, and then finally, I drafted a found deck that went 7-0, and I did have to work for a lot of those games in a sense, although it was a good enough deck that really as long as I survived the early game, I was going to be fine. 
Um, and then I stopped. I simply stopped playing after I got that 7-0. It's like, <laughs> that's it. I don't think I'm going to get a better deck than this in the in this format. So I'm going to stick with that. That's the last that's the last draft I play until the new cards come out. <laughs> and I've kept to that promise. That sounds like a really smart idea cuz <laughs> I kind of had a very similar experience where um we got the announcement for the new format and this is um I guess the announcement came Monday or something, and then Tuesday I had I was in the middle of a draft. I finished it. I scraped together seven wins, and I was like, "Oh, this is like a really good note to to end this format on." I really like this deck. I got seven wins. I'm probably not going to have that much time to uh, to play uh, before the um, they infuse the new cards. And then as the next morning, I was like, maybe I'll just do like one more draft. And then it didn't go great. And then I was like, well, this is not a great way to end this format on. So I'll do one more draft. And then that went 0-3. And then I was yeah. like, well, that's really not a good way to end this <laughs> format. But I can't go, I can't get worse. So <laughs> <laughs> and then like six drafts later i was like ready to throw my phone through the wall um and it finally sort of had a a bittersweet ending where the my final draft of the day on wednesday was this really sweet menace dragons deck I must have had 15 dragons in the deck. And it was, and then I had, um, uh, yeah, I had like 15 dragons. And then all, all my other cards were like Grenadine drones and like things that were interlopers and stuff. And then I had like four, um, grizzly. I think I played three grizzly contests and a combust in the deck. And it was so sweet. And then I was 4-0 with it, having a great time. And then I lost a game. Then I won a game. And then I got stuck on two power for two games in a row. And um, felt really bad again. Uh, but it was a sweet deck, so, <laughs> so, I, so it was still okay. It was like, it was a shame. It was like one of those, it was a thing where like, if that had been my only horrible draft of the day, I wouldn't have felt so bad. But it felt much worse because I felt like I'd been losing to bad variants for the whole day. Sure. Um, and this is a long way of s saying, I really shouldn't have gone into this much detail. I'm sorry, listeners. But like, what I really wanted to say is literally up until Wednesday, I've only been having fun in this format. Like, all my decks have been totally sweet. They've all felt really powerful and good. And I've been just, like, having so much fun in this format. And then the wheels just totally came off yesterday. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I had been riding high variants. And I don't even mean that in that I, like, won a lot. I just, like, all my decks felt sweet and good. And then I had, like, three drafts in a row. Uh, I was like, I don't know what this deck is doing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And um, 
I think part of it was probably drafting too much and getting tired and then just like going on autopilot. And, uh, yeah. And then some of it was just like with this menace deck where I finally drafted a good deck that I really liked. And then I just like couldn't draw power. And then you're like, oh. It does sometimes feel like the game just hates you for a while. Where like I, I've, I had a, I had a pretty good, um, I, I, probably a Rakano deck. Uh, it was some two faction deck, and I think in every opening hand for the entire draft, I only had one of my two factions <laughs> in sigils. <laughs> like I would, I would get all, I would get all justice, and then I would mulligan that. And then I would have only fire, and and then but only justice cards. And it was it, it was like the game was trying to tell me stop playing, stop playing me. It is not for you today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I agree. The game sometimes does that. Like the number of times I feel like I'm able to, like jokingly say, like, man, the worst card I could top deck this turn is x card and then that's the card i draw yeah that's the voice recognition software in the internal it's really <laughs> high it's, that it's was very sophisticated. I, I also draft, drafted a really sweet skycrag deck and i had four steam blasts and then like a ton of ways to make units and my final game of that deck i um i had three steam blasts in hand and zero units and then I was like, the only thing that could make this worse is if I draw my fourth Steam Blast. Next card, Steam uh-huh. Blast. Yeah. And I was like... Yeah. I was like... <laughs> that's, that's, you hate to see it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway. Point is, horrible draft week, great draft format. Okay. Is where I was going with that. But uh, moving on to more positive place uh the place where we thank our patrons here um who are the people who support this show week after week month after month technically i guess month after month um so you too can join the patreon at uh patreon.com slash farming eternal for as little as a dollar a month you get to support the show uh keep it going keep us motivated and uh pay for the server um so- the hosting costs. <laughs> what? Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's 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 just uh, it's just such an odd bonus. <laughs> like this is what you get to do. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get the you get the keep the show hosted. Turns yeah. out SoundCloud not cheap. No. Um. No, but the motivation is like a big part of it. It is, and it's really cool. We've talked about this before. It's just so much fun running into patrons in-game, on the Discord. Oh, yeah. Chatting a bunch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always excited. Or when I'm watching stream, I'm always like, oh, that's a patron. Uh, so, thank you very much. Yeah, so, it's always fun to root for patrons uh, when they're when they're up against the streamer. It <laughs> is. Know? Like, go Cotillion! <laughs> I, I actually, I kind of feel like a, a fan at, you know, like at an away game or whatever. You're like, yeah, I don't know. You're like the one Giants fan at a at a Eagles game or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, because you because like the 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 guy one of the people on the team is your is your cousin's cousin or something. It's like <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, Cadillia, and everyone's like, Cass, you can do it, and you're like, oh. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so thank you, Cotillion, Loki, Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman Two, Twin Hacks. Jed the Hammer, Draven Dragon, Esword zero two one five, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yestout. Um, we're here to cheer you on. Yeah, we are. All right. So no card of the week because this shows us going to be one long card of the week as we say goodbye. Um, and our seven win run breakdown, which is where people send in their deck their seven win deck list to us at farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the seven win channel of the farming eternal discord where we put them in a, sh- a spreadsheet and then we kind of talk about what decks are doing well as well as give a shout out to everyone who submitted a deck this week and thank john holio for entering in all the lists so we have two new contributors this week um aki i don't know achi achi Achi72 and Stammer. Ironic. Um, <laughs> Abednego, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Beard Broken, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, FS Forward Sound, Gato Sujo, Gunner116, Hats on Lamp, It Belong No, John Avon, Mancio1982, Meadow, Mercurial Blue, Meavers, Out on a Limb, Pachi, Parmalee, Potomaru, Raven Dragon, Shab, Sunblaze, Telemokos, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Vader, Who Does That, Yist Out, and ZS Jostrom 35. So thank you, everyone, for sending in your deck list. Yeah, we've got a lot of contributors now. It's awesome. All right, so the final breakdown. So for this latest iteration of the set, uh, we've gotten 200 drafts in. And of that, Time and Fire were the most commonly represented colors at 40%. And then Primal, Shadow, and Justice were all in the mid-30s. So this is by far the most balanced format I think we've ever had. Oh, really? That's interesting. I think at the beginning, I don't know if this is true, but it felt like Fire was such a, a favorite um, I don't know if that was reflected in how many seven win decks were submitted to us, um, but it felt like I was going up against fire decks. Basically, I mean more than I, I'm I'm used to. <laughs> yes, I do think early on fire was over represented on ladder, but as far as and it was like slightly ahead. Yeah, but. It was never like far and away the best. It was okay. nothing like Justice was in the last iteration, you know, in iteration two of this format, where yeah. for a while Justice was like fifty percent of decks or something crazy like that. Right. And okay. I think there's that also shows that there is always a little bit of a difference in like the seven win decks we receive as compared to like you know fire decks could have been really prevalent on ladder and also getting five or six wins, but just not getting over the hump. Um, the crazy thing is, even after 200 drafts, uh, Justice was still the least represented uh, color in this final iteration of the format. 
It's interesting. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Um, it was not so far behind that in the overall format, of which we've gotten 981 decks in set nine. Um, and Justice was the top performing deck at 45%, while Fire was second at 44%. And then Time at thir- 39, and then Primal and Shadow in the very low 30s. Was okay. the final breakdown of all three sets, of I all see. three iterations. Well, well, that's interesting. As we'll see later, my... My I I probably have moved in an opposite direction from what everyone else is doing in this format. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I'm comfortable with it. No, and I, I think that's um, one of the things I've learned about on this show is that people can have a lot of success with a lot of different, you know, different draft strategies. And as long as your basics and your sort of understanding of draft works for you, I think it's totally fine. I mean, I think that was one of the interesting um, aspects of the episode you did with eMoneyBags, um, Eric. You know, because in, in the second, ver- you know, second iteration of Argent Depths, he was hap- happily and comfortably drafting Fire, while as far as I could tell, no one else liked Fire but me and him uh, in that that format. But, you know, it got him into the top eight of the draft championship. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, it was and it was very much about how fires units at that specific time matched up against other units in the format as far as being able to attack through them. Yeah, fire had this unique advantage where it could attack for five with relatively efficient units where other um, factions struggled to do it. Um, and fires could so consistently do it because those were the those were the only units you really had access to in the draft packs um, that uh, that that he could essentially draft that same deck whenever he wanted to and have it be good. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about having guests on the show is you get to hear a variety of opinions, and even the best drafters in the world all don't agree on everything. And yet they're finding success. And so sort of just hearing a variety of opinions and then incorporating that into what works best with you and then applying that to the battlefield of sorts, I think is, is kind of the best way, <laughs> the best way to play. Yeah. Yeah. Valuable information heading into the next draft championship, whenever that may be. Yeah. All right. So, We'll go on to our main topic, which is where we say goodbye to Arjun Depps here. So we have our usual few questions that we ask to sort of sum up the format, and then a few quote-unquote fun questions at the end. We'll uh, see how fun they are. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can break how fun they are. <laughs> see if we can break through that hardened shell that's surrounding hats. I'm I'm very I'm very noir right now in my mood. <laughs> you can't tell, but I'm sitting next to a bird cage and I'm smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so, Hats, what is your one sentence summary of 
Argent, the Argent Depths draft format. Okay, well, I like to pick out, uh, so do go micro with these uh, and pick out a phrase that echoes through my mind a lot rather than trying to describe the format as a whole. So my description is, I hope they don't have Siphon or Paladin. <laughs> and then the reason for that is that I think Siphon or Paladin really uh, dominated so many early games of this format. It was an unavoidable thing to consider all the time. Um, and it's because there's a specific play pattern that would happen where, uh, especially if the person with the Siphon or Paladin went first, um, it would be almost unavoidable to have your two drop eaten by the three three relic the three three relic weapon that the paladin made um and then have the weapon stick around at either either one or two armor to kill your next unit as well um and and that was partly because the two none of uh the main two drops in the format had three strength there's no three ones you know, there's a there's the mini bot, which is a three two, but practically nothing else had three strength um, when it was defending. All of the good attackers were only good on attack. On defense, they could be taken down by a three three relic weapon uh, very efficiently, like your flame heart patrollers and your uh, chain whip bludgeoners, and then even something like Warple cutter um, and apprentice mage. Like a lot of the good two drops in the format for Siphon or Paladin. And there wasn't really any way to play around it because uh, you got to play your cards. you got to get on the board. Otherwise, you're just sitting there watching your opponent play and getting beaten in the face with a 3-3 Relic Weapon is also not great strategy. <laughs> so you would just play you would just play your 2-drop and then hope they don't have Siphon or Paladin over and over and over again. <laughs> yes. had, and often they would uh, because it was a good card that everyone would play if they had it. Um, I think on the whole, Siphoner Paladin was a negative influence on the format because I think it's a defensive card um, that was too good at what it did. Uh, but uh, it was also an interesting card, and so I wasn't sad that it existed really. But I did think that it was so format defining for that um, if it had been any other card, then the format would have been fundamentally different. And I think uh, other than something like Grodov's Favored, I can't think of any other common that's, that's been like that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Rectifier was kind of like that Rectifier for a while. Rectifier was also like that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where it was like, you can't play anything fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Siphoner Paladin... My thoughts about Siphoner Paladin... Uh, one is... It seems crazy to me that Executioner had triple shadow and Siphoner Paladin <laughs> only had double justice. I think adding one more or one more justice to Siphoner Paladin so you were less likely to get it turn three um, would have really helped. Yeah. And then also, I wish it wasn't able to upgrade weapons. Yeah, it doesn't need that ability at all. <laughs> that That's what pushed it over to Outrageous to me, because it just meant you could play near-limitless Siphoner Paladins with no worries, and sometimes you could just make an unbeatably large weapon so that your opponent now can't even play 
five or six drops because you can just eat them and still have a weapon left over. Yeah, and there's no there there was barely any playable um attachment removal in the format either. Yes. Uh they did they did add in a couple like a couple of uncommons um that were reasonably good at that, but nothing that you could sort of main deck, you know, disjunction was out of the format and I think ruin was out of it was not boosted either. And you wouldn't play Ruin anyway because the only card you were playing it against was Siphon or Paladin. Yeah, exactly, because there weren't that many weapons and stuff in the format. Yeah. At least, you know, regular weapons or whatever. So Paladin was just sort of this unique combination of of uh, a card that attacks from a unique angle. So the way you fight it is unlike anything else. Uh, you know, anything that you put in specifically to deal with Siphon or Paladin is not good at dealing with other cards, except I would say probably Lightning Strike, which is good at dealing with both. But even Lightning Strike only takes care of part of the Siphon or Paladin problem, because then they still have this 1-5. Um, and then uh, and then the, the threat that it creates, the 3-3 Relic Weapon, is so good at dealing with other early plays specifically in this format because the early plays are bad on attack uh, or rather uh, bad on defense and good on attack and um yeah and then uh it, it's also and then it's a format that um uh that doesn't have enough other relics and attachments uh to where you would um you, where you would play something that gets rid of them um so yeah it's just in it's it's not just a good card. It's a good card in a format that rewards it specifically all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could have been a one three, and it could have. Been, I mean, it would have. It was not balanced as a common. Yes. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, do you think there's anything to it being sl- slightly worse in this last iteration of the format? Yeah, I think it was slightly worse because the two drops were a little bit different. Like there wasn't the the Flame Heart Patroller and wasn't and uh, and uh, Chain Whip Bludgeoner wasn't sort of the standard opening anymore. However, the two drops weren't like. I think that aggro started looking different in this last format, so that it wasn't shut down quite so effectively by Cypher Paladin. Um, yes. I think it had a few different tools and could attack from a couple of different directions. Uh, I'm not sure if I can be specific about that because I wasn't really playing aggro much in this last format, but it felt like when I was playing against it that I was having to deal with a lot of different stuff that wouldn't have been dealt with just like with a single relic weapon. So, yeah, it's not quite as good, but also it's not quite as good because people weren't in justice by the time they were going into pack two when they would see the Siphoner Paladins. Um, so you would be in this weird situation where you would start seeing Siphoner Paladins really late in pack two because, uh, whoever was passing to you wasn't in justice because of the weak, uh, pack one for justice. And then it was often too late to go into justice because Siphoner Paladin does require to justice influence. So it's a tough thing to splash, even though it's probably still correct to splash it <laughs> because it's that powerful, but it's not crazy late in the mid game. It's an incredible early game card that isn't actually very good in board stalls. Um, it's good in board stalls if your opponent has one flyer that can be taken out. Uh, or if you have a pre-existing relic weapon. 
Or if you have a pre-existing relic weapon, yes. So it's good in a couple of those situations. But if it's just like a bunch of ground units facing each other across the board, Siphoner Paladin is at its worst. Because uh, then it's, it's sort of you like maybe you trade in one of your units for one of your opponent's units and it doesn't really matter that much. I don't know. I think this last format got into board stalls a little bit more than the previous two. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, how I summarize the format is this was a slower format in general, I think, with a lot of viable architects and you were archetypes and you were able to do a lot of different things, but you did have to watch out for aggro, um, despite it being a slower format. And that made it a little tricky, I felt like, because I, for a while, was complaining, um, you know, it was hard for me to find that balance of building a deck that could go over the top of my opponents while not immediately dying to um, aggressive decks. And then that got even trickier in this last iteration of the format where aggro decks turned into these go-wide decay decks. And it just felt like you could build a deck and then at the end you'd be like, well, this is good as long as my opponent doesn't have multiple corrosive daggers. (laughs) Because I have no way, you know, like all my blockers will slowly get chipped away. And then I have, there's no way to answer multiple decay units. And um, so that that was like a, a, a tricky but interesting part of the format for me, I think. I guess that is part of why Siphoner Paladin was a little less effective. Is usually an aggro deck would have like three units down by the time you got your Siphoner Paladin out. And so they could just a space at you and take out the weapon and then play another unit, um, and then eventually hook up that decay. And and Siphoner Paladin doesn't do that well with decay. Yeah, it gains you some life, but it doesn't solve the problem. So I think yeah, I think that sort of go wi- go wideness of the of the aggro decks is one way around Siphoner Paladin. It's still very strong, still a good way to uh, slow things down. But it doesn't take out, it can only take out one unit at a time. Yes. Um, all right, so the next question is, how did you like the format? Uh, why don't you answer this first? <laughs> uh, I, I, I said most of my piece, I guess, already yeah. in how my draft week went. But I liked it a lot. I thought especially this final iteration... With so many playables, you got to make a lot of sweet decks. A lot they managed to highlight a lot of the themes again, um, so you got to do a lot of fun stuff. I think so. I think the format ended with a bang. Um, I think the fact that the second version of this format lasted for so long was a real disservice to how great the format was, because uh, you know Shab mentioned this on the podcast before, where he thought, you know, the first version was a really good drafting the hard way format where there were a lot of playables, a lot of viable archetypes, and it really rewarded good drafting. And then felt like for a long stretch in the middle, you got rewarded for opening really good cards and getting lucky. And then we went back to it feeling very rewarding to draft again. So yeah. I think the highs were the highs were worth it, and even in the lows, I, you know, even in the middle part, I still had fun with the format. It was, 
even in the worst of it, it didn't feel like, say, set eight, which was like just dominated by two archetypes, more or less. You know, it still felt open in the sense that you could do different things. You just had to get luckier because you might not get enough playables if, you know, a color got cut or something out of nowhere. Boy, set eight was a long time ago. What was what was going on in set eight? Set eight was the um, edge of creation. Oh was, yeah, or right. edge of prophecy. Um, Create, but the creation deck, yeah, yeah, the creation relic weapon recursion deck, and I mean, I played that so much that I. Um, I played that specific archetype so much, I assume that it was the best one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was. It was, yeah, that was, I think that was the strongest and most supported. You know, there was the Relic Matter one, the high-cost Relic okay. Matter, which worked out sometimes and was kind of fun, but that format was so dominated by those big sword top ends or Waystone Gate, or Corpse Bloom. That it, yeah. it, it was fun. I think it was fun to do that stuff, and it was fun to draft three colors, but it it wasn't as open as any of the of this format was. Okay. Well, I I don't think that I can really speak to the quality of the format. Um, very well because I do think that where I'm at with just Eternal and uh, and just how uh, my life has uh, gone through a lot of changes and therefore I haven't been going uh, haven't really been able to focus on Eternal as my main hobby for a while now um, my feelings about the format probably have a lot more to do with that than the actual quality of it and but things about it that confounded me over and over again which is sort of these uh the the influence matters cards in general have never felt good to me um because it it means with the with the big commons like disappear and um uh t um tinker and those are those are the two big ones, I guess. Those are the playable ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but let's count things like corrosive dagger uh, in that in that um, anything where like there was a certain threshold of influence that made cards dramatically better. Those have those have always felt to me like very high variance cards because either you can play them or you can't, mm -hmm. and that and so you have to either warp your deck around your deck's power base around um playing them consistently or you had to just sort of put them in your deck and hope um and so they they've never felt good and they were sort of one of the main mechanics of the format is making influence matters stuff i do like the way that influence matters cards like uh um like chain whip bludgeoner and uh, its big, its big imbue cousin, make it so those instant those instant speed spells that um, are fast spells that uh, that create influence can sort of be used as pump spells. 
Um, there's like you you would have you would have situations uh, where, say, uh, let's see, ley line tra- you'd be attacking with something like a ley line tracer and a chain whip bludgeoner, and then you can mid combat cast uh, cast like a silent hysteria, give your ley line tracer plus five plus five for the turn and give your chain whip bludgeoner plus two plus two and you're silencing your opponent's board like those kind of sort of emergent combos mm-hmm. are fun and i like the i like those dynamics um but i didn't like the threshold influence stuff where either you can play your card and have it do what you wanted to or it's just sitting in your hand i kind of like it when influence requirements aren't quite so crazy if you're just playing like one or two factions but it did uh encourage people to try out mono faction which you can't always do in a format so it's there's some good and some bad about almost every aspect of it honestly um yeah i i don't know i think they did like a pretty reasonable job especially with like the smogwing i don't know like with smogwing tinker and disappear i think those were expensive cards with heavy influence requirements. And so it kind of fit. It wasn't like that big of a deal. I don't know. Like those are late game cards. And so you didn't have to be mono time. You could just be like heavy time to want to play them. And then the, you know, like a card like Hardy Warrior. I liked the fact that even if you were like a little bit in primal, you know, like, if you had two influence, it was a 2-4, which is a fine blocker, and then it got better the more you committed to it. And so that that didn't, uh, like, I like yeah, the I fact don't that... Mind, I don't mind uh, Hardy Warrior because the advantage is incremental. Yes. It, it was, I guess, yeah, I guess it's a little bit hard to explain, but um, th- there was something that really annoyed me about Corrosive Dagger either being a plus one plus one with decay or like <laughs> a card that just wrecks your whole day <laughs> because yes. it puts down enough blockers to destroy your entire board. <laughs> yes. No, I agree that the variance between like a mono fire deck and then just like a normal deck with corrosive dagger was too high. So I, I agree that was the floor to ceiling of that one was, was too wide. Um, the things that I didn't really like were like, even like Greenstone Officer, like these, like the triple influence for cheap cards. I, I think I liked those cards in theory more than I did in pra- <laughs> in how they played. Well, um, they looked bad in your, in your, um, when you're, when you're trying to make cuts at the, at the end of your draft. And you're they're like, how many two drops do I have? And then Greenstone Officer looks like a two drop, but it's not a two drop at all. And so you it, it you had to not count it. <laughs> and it's more like this optional card that you intend to play after a uh, after a pump spell or something later. Um, but that's not a real problem. That was just another skill to get the hang of. <laughs> um, and the, but there were. Let's see what there was Greenstone Officer and then there was the uh, then there was the one that comes back from the void when it transforms, whatever that one was called. And there was the fire guy that smacks you in the face for four. And then there was Executioner. An Executioner. And, uh, you know, then the other one. What was the time one? 
what was oh the time no, the one time was one the we you guy oh the primal one was was a three three flyer oh yeah that one was great that one's great yeah greenstone officer and that one were the good ones yeah okay maybe I didn't mind those I don't know I don't I I guess I don't feel quite as strongly about the uh, the influence matters theme as was, you do it but. was just hard for me to get the hang of I don't know I guess I was greedy I wanted to be able to play car play my commons I think having them as commons I think having those four influence like having cards like disappear and tinker as commons was what bothered me because I want all of the commons to essentially be playable it really annoys me having weird commons that you can only play in a couple of uh, that you can only play if your deck's influence is set up right and I don't know why that should bother me because I like having commons around that suit a certain type of deck but I want that to be about the deck's strategy and not the deck's influence requirements uh, so I don't know uh, it's entirely subjective but it just rubbed me the wrong way and then I never recovered I guess for me, the thing that I didn't like about the four influence commons was just that there was such a discrepancy in power level. Oh, yeah. There was no reason for Stormfront Prowler to be to require four primal influence. Yes. And it just so that I don't know, it just like kind of ruined the, the cycle for me because it felt like what could have been like i think disappear and smogwing tinker were cool in that they like were like anchors and like reasons to like really get into a color and like both of them especially smogwing tinker with the fact that it gave you four armor were like man i i would play three of these or four of these in a deck and that would just be my top end and it'll win me the game and it'll be a reason that i'm in justice but like that was not true for the, you know, like the for the primal shadow and you know armed and dangerous. I think was uh, okay card. It definitely had its place, but it it wasn't a reason to be in fire. And I wanted them to be the reason to be in those colors. And disappear was a little bit like I think you could you could overload on disappears, so it wasn't quite like smogwing tinker. But at the same time, it was powerful enough and could get you out of situations enough um, that it was still a reason to be in in time. Which yeah, I, I guess liked. that's I guess that's true. I I think that I didn't like being because of the way the packs operate in Eternal Draft. I didn't like the commitment level that. Uh, disappear required from me because if I picked up a couple of disappears in the first pack then I'm going to be very disappointed if time isn't also open in the second pack because I want my influence to be mostly time if I'm playing disappears which means that it's kind of up to absolute chance uh, whether or not I get enough time cards to actually play that deck yeah and I think yes and I think this was definitely exacerbated in you know you know, in the second iteration of this format where the playable count was low and the set nine cards were so much stronger than the draft packs because you could get into this situation where you'd pick up a disappear and then you would want to be in time. You you know, you could pick up two disappears, want to be in time because they're good cards. And then there's a time symbol versus another playable time card. 
and you like need to take the time symbol to play your disappears, but you also need to take the time card or else you're not going to have enough play playables. Yeah. And it, it forced, I think it, it put you in these like impossible choices. At least they felt impossible to me where it's like, you felt like you needed to pick every good card you, you could, but you really needed to pick the symbols highly too, or else you weren't going to be able to play the best commons <laughs> in your color. And I was doing better in that middle format when I when I put uh, cards like Disappear and Smogwing Tinker way down on my on my pick order, so that I wasn't in that situation very often. Right, and I remember you talking about that, and um, I I think this that's one of the reasons is because yes, you were able to pick other playable cards and not really have to ever make. Yeah. Those kind of choices. Yeah, not putting not putting pressure on yourself. Going, you know, because like they say back. that like picking power highly is good because it's like you're picking. I guess how much is it in inter- in a eternal? Like you're picking your twenty eighth through twenty ninth. You know, you're playing your twenty eighth yeah. through twenty ninth pick, which uh, you know theoretically makes your deck better. Um. As if you're as compared to if you're just playing all sigils in your power, where you're only playing, um, you know, 27 of your cards that you picked. But when you only have 20 playables, <laughs> wasting, wasting, um, you know, three or four of those picks on your 28th through 30th card is uh, feels a lot worse. Yeah, you can't afford to. Yeah, that's just yeah. I mean, that's just the problem with with having weak draft packs and why they should never even try doing that again. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, you know, they've done this the last several, so hopefully set 10 is... <laughs> Break the streak. It's there. a special draft. All right, where so, they don't uh, make any major mistakes the entire time. It'll be neat. So what was your... What faction ended up being the best? Well, I, I think just... I think I drafted more justice than anything uh, over the course of the entire format, uh, and that was simply because it had the best commons. Yes, I um, I agree. I think Justice was the best. Um, weirdly, I don't think I drafted Justice the most of all the colors, but it definitely was far and above the best. And because I think, yeah. And so I also ended up with a lot of Justice cards in my collection because I would just you just had to pick every siphon or paladin and caravan guard that you saw on the off chance that justice was open pretty much yeah, yeah. they were just two of the best commons i i drafted a lot of huru in the in the middle part uh so that's probably where most of my justice decks were i i experimented with all of the factions especially towards the beginning but in the middle where i was struggling to to win consistently unless I unless I drafted really tight. I, I ended up in Huru a lot. Um, all right. And so what were your final top commons in each of the colors? This is more difficult for some of the colors than others, but um, I have it for Fire, Corrosive, Dagger. And this is kind of a hard pick for me just because I tended to avoid Corrosive Dagger decks. Not because they weren't strong. They definitely were. But because they didn't work for me, <laughs> I could never figure out how to play them properly. Uh, 
And so even when I watched other uh, drafters play them effectively against me, I could never figure out what influence they must be, what like their influence spread, like the sigils yeah. uh, that they're playing must have been in order to make Corrosive Dagger so strong so consistently. And so I just kind of gave up and played other kinds of decks. But clearly Corrosive Dagger uh, being the most annoying card for me to play against is probably the strongest one. Uh, so that's my pick for fire. Uh, for time, kind of difficult because uh, I am saying here like the card that I would genuinely pick uh, first, uh, thinking this is definitely going to make my deck later on. I picked Apprentice Mage. That's the 2-2 two, two for 2 uh, that gives you plus 1 max power. Uh, it's not the strongest card that time has, but I'm going to play all my Apprentice Mages every time, whereas every other common in time, I'm going to probably put a limit on the number that I actually put in my deck. Uh, it's just a little workhorse of a card. Yes. And, and Justice, Siphoner, Paladin, we've already talked about. Uh, Primal is also difficult because none of the cards are overwhelmingly powerful, and none of them want more than two copies, I think, in my opinion. <laughs> none of the Primal cards... What, like I don't want to put three of any of those cards in my deck, <laughs> and so I actually ended up going with Valley Clan Sage, which is the zero five for two, um, and you can pay four to draw a card and keep it if it's a spell, and discard it if it's not a spell. Um, and that's uh, that card has been steadily creeping up in my pick order since the beginning of the format, to the point where I actively want one or two of them in every one of my primal decks, just because it's such a good card at extending the early game to get you to the mid game uh, and then draws cards in the late game. Uh, it kind of does all the things I want a primal deck to do if it's not Huru. <laughs> but if it is Huru, then you want cards that can attack. Um, but if it's uh, if it's a, any deck that wants to play a long game or attack in the air, then Valley Clan Sage is great. And then uh, in Shadow, uh, the, again, there's not anything that really stands out, but I just went ahead and said Vorpal Cutter, because I've continued to be impressed with the card over the course of the format. I think I've said things that contradict that in the past, but I kind of come back to it. Um, it's only a good attacker. It's not a good defensive unit. It's a 1-3 three for 3, and a lot of stuff can attack through it, even if they take 1 decay damage. But it can. It has the potential to be such a huge threat that your opponent has to take it seriously. Um and then there's ways to give it flying and stuff, especially in this last format with uh, with the Cobalt Acolyte or just false demising it. Uh, and then it becomes an, an unreal threat. So uh, it just sort of does everything you want a shadow attacking unit to do. Because um, the any damage it does is permanent. It's got decay, and it can do a lot of damage. So, um, yeah, those are my picks. I feel pretty good about them. Yeah, Borable Cutter, I think, is the sort of the hot take pick of, of this. And um, I feel like you've come around to where I started on Purple Cutter, and and I'm not even sure where I am at the end of the format on Purple Cutter. I think it's there's a a lot of the shadow cards were just very confusing to me because they all felt like they sh they like read they read really well. And they can do really busted stuff, so they can absolutely blow you out. Like, uh, you know, Vorpal Cutter, Lurking Brute, like, my opponents had really great 
turns <laughs> with both of those cards and I couldn't do anything to stop them. But then they just always performed more anemic for me. And so it was always hard for me to really rate them in that regard. Um, another card that comes to mind is the, um, uh, what is the, the cat, the, the four fire fire two, two with charge that gains attack equal to your yeah. highest attacker. Like that was a card that <laughs> when my opponent played, it was always like exactly the turn where I was like, Oh, I think I finally stabilized. And then my opponent played an eight two charge and I was like, Oh, I'm dead. And <laughs> yeah, it always feels like you should be able to block that with some random two drop that you played a couple turns ago. And then when your opponent plays that card, it's just your none of your two drops are around. Yeah. They attacked last turn or <laughs> And then when I have a when I have that card in hand, my opponent has five apprentice mages out and I'm like, oh well <laughs> I don't want to play this card right now. Yeah, Trail Torch Cinderpaw. Yeah, that was, I think, the. I, I feel the same about that card. About how I feel like it should be terrible, and yet somehow my opponents play it, and it seems rather good. Yes, and Vorpal Cutter sort of fits in that in that mold for me. So my the cards I picked were Corrosive Dagger and Fire, like you said. Uh, Corrosive Dagger is interesting because... Um, I, less so in this current format but i kind of felt like the flame heart patrollers were more important to fire for a while where you just needed early attackers and like corrosive dagger doesn't really do anything without some good <laughs> with without some good one or two drops now this current format i think there are just so many playables that you can get grenadine drones or two drops and stuff and so you could go wider with fire. And so corrosive dagger, like really got obnoxiously strong in this current format because fire could come up with enough two drops where you didn't have to make a choice between picking corrosive dagger and flame heart patroller. Well, corrosive dagger on a Shalka evangel is terrifying because for one thing, they've already got four fire influence when they play the corrosive dagger on the Shavka Evangel because the Evangel made one and then they played one for each of their first three turns. And so they've got a 3-3 with Berserk and Decay and they have two Grenadins uh, or whatever they're called, the Decay Grenadins. Um, rustlings. Rustlings. Then they've got two Rustlings. It's really hard to come back from that. There's not a lot of good defense. No, Siphoner Paladin's pretty good answer to the Decay unit though. <laughs> <laughs> but that um, doesn't stop that whole thing. <laughs> There's still a rustling left over after you've used the three three relic weapon on the Shavka Evangel and then blocked one of the rustlings. So you've got you need you need something more than a siphoner paladin to stop that opening. And I feel like I've had to stop that opening a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then in time I picked disappear i think disappear was the number one reason i went into time um i felt like apprentice mages while a good card felt like a dime a dozen i don't know they, they always would just show up and you'd have too many of them or whatever I while think people aren't picking them high enough yeah while the disappears were like the reason i'd go into time and then siphon or paladin 
Primal, like you said, was very hard to, to pick. Uh, this is, I kind of said this as a meme, but I picked Frost um, in the sense that I would never pick Frost early, really. But Frost was like the one card in Primal that you was like the one effect in Primal that you couldn't get anywhere else. And all my decks that had Primal kind of wanted a Frost. It was just a very flexible card. While like um, the bear uh, was is a stronger and a good card, but like you could get big beaters in other places. Yeah, um, the three three overwhelm within view for five. Yeah. It's expensive and a little clunky. I found out pretty early in the format that if I had uh, more than two of those in my deck, I was going to lose a lot. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just too awkward a card. Because you have to, you don't have to, but you, you, you usually have to reduce the number of units on board in order to play a big imbue unit like that. And there's, especially in this last format, um, when you had access to all of those big uncommon flyers in primal like sapphire dragon you didn't really need the bear anymore because you've got evasive threats and that was the main point of having a giant overwhelm unit is is as semi-evasion right exactly and then there's like you know like valley clan sage was a very good card and uh spoiler alert was my most drafted common of set nine but <laughs> unexpectedly yeah un very unexpectedly actually but it was still but it's still um, a replaceable, like, you know, like a Caravan Guard, Siphoner Paladin, you know, are pretty good early blockers that could kind of fill the role of Valley Clan Sage. Um, while Frost was like the one card in Primal where I was like, I'm only getting this here. Sure. I guess that's fair. Or Valiant course, Leap if I'm, yeah. I want to cheat. Yeah, yeah, Valiant Leap only really counts as a two-faction card, but otherwise it would be clearly the best primal card. And then I picked Grizzly Contest for Shadow. I think um, uh, this card kind of went... I started high, then went low, and then went. it's gone up and up as I learned to play it and build decks with it better and better as the format went on. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. All right, and so best common in set eight, I think we're both don't agree. Siphon or Paladin? Yep. Um, all right, so top uncommons. What's your list? Uh, this is this was a tough question too, just because so many uncommons are really good uh, in this format. It's really uh, it was really hard to just. It would have been easier to make a list of the uncommons I don't like. But when I actually started looking at them, it was, uh, there are cards that I'm sort of excited about to various degrees. My absolute favorite one is Ancient Serpent. That's uh, that's the three four flyer with um, that costs uh, three primal and six. <laughs> How do you say that again? <laughs> it costs six triple primal. Uh, and when you when when you summon it, you get a, a spell back from your void to your hand. That is exactly what I want to be doing in a in a game of draft where I'm playing primal, <laughs> it's just, it's just such a versatile card and it's a threat on its own. I'm sure I've talked about it a million times before. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the one that I'm most, that I was most excited to see by the end of the format. I'm like, Oh great. I got an ancient serpent. Now my deck is, is awesome. Um, and that's just because I've been going 
I've been drafting slower and slower decks as the format has gone on, as I've grown less comfortable with aggro. Uh, but back when I was comfortable with aggro, uh, then Might Weaver was awesome. Uh, Oni Battle Driver was awesome. And uh, then uh, over in time, I've always loved Leyline Tracer. Uh, Leyline Tracer is so impossible to do battle with because you never know what size it's going to be by the end of the combat phase. Yes. <laughs> it, could be, it could be absolutely anything. It's just a nightmare when your opponent makes a ley line tracer and you can't kill it immediately. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then Desert Alchemist, which is just sort of our workhorse. Desert Alchemist never feels like an amazing card, but it just does so many things uh, for such a cheap price. And then uh, there's Omen Scarworm, which is really the best like thing to ramp to uh, ever <laughs> in, yeah. in, a, in an Eternal Trap format. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an eight eight that draws more cards. It's such a it's such a great card. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I think it's like the the best card to play. It's you unfortunately can't play it in every game. You're sometimes dead by turn eight. Sure, but yeah. Yeah, but if you want if you want a card that you're actually building towards, like the card that goes over the top of whatever your opponent's doing, it's hard to beat Omen Scar Worm for just being that one card. Uh, if you don't count the rares, but among yeah. commons and uncommons, yeah, it's unbeatable. And then Greenstone Officer, which we talked about a little bit, life life gain was very important in a format with with strong aggressive uh, tendencies. And then Murky Tentaclesis, or however you say it, Murky Tentaclesis. Uh, the 5-2 five, the five for 5 uh, Shadow Shadow with Unblockable, and then it comes back to your hand when any of your revenge spells come, go off. Uh, yeah. Uh, Murky, I, I kind of underestimated at the beginning of the format. I knew it was a good little evasive threat, but the fact that there was decay in the format and it could be taken out cleanly by, um, by chemical rounds made me think, well, maybe it won't be constantly a great card. But it turns out uh, an evasive threat that brings itself back from the void. Actually, very, very good. <laughs> Extremely <Yes>. good. <laughs> there were a lot of times when I would, when when there was decay damage coming to my murky tentacle, uh, uh, that I would and I would sacrifice it. Um, uh, even if I, you know, there wasn't a good target for my grizzly contest or whatever, just because just bringing it back was such a beating. Uh, and then finally, the card, my sort of pet uncommon that I would basically take over anything uh, is Spirit Weaver, which is the 1-3 that gives any unit you have with at least 5 strength uh, lifesteal, and it has plunder, and it just costs 2 shadow. Uh, Spirit Weaver constantly overperformed for the entire format for me. It's just stealing games, sometimes with murky, murky tentacles. Uh, and sometimes with just uh, something, some unit that had a had a um, combat boost played on it. Yes, uh, just enough uh, to turn a race around when your opponent really didn't want that to happen. Yeah, I mean, you uh, as you and Shab said, races have never happened. But if they were to happen, sure, Spirit Weaver, you cannot race a Spirit Weaver. No. Oh. And also it sets up a situation uh, where your opponent can't easily get rid of the entire problem. Because um, either they target the unit that's actually hitting them for lifesteal damage, 
uh, and then they have to leave the Spirit Weaver, and then every unit you play, every large unit you play, is the same problem again. Or they get rid of the Spirit Weaver, and they still have some big unit hitting them in the face. <laughs> you yes. know, it splits the problem up across two uh, two different cards, and it makes it difficult for your opponent to deal with with everything. Um, yeah, it was always like very exciting when you had a Spirit Weaver and like a five attack flyer, and then. <laughs> Your opponent silences the flyer, but then it still had lifesteal, and you yeah. really, really felt not bad for having your your flyer silenced. <laughs> like, oh well, <laughs> just I'll just gain five life and trade with one of their biggest units, and then wait for something else to come along and have the same and present the same question to your opponent. Yeah. So, so if you took Ancient Serpent out of the equation, you would take Spirit Weaver as your next uncommon. Uh, it's yeah, I think right now that's how I feel about it. But also Oni Battle Driver is kind of uh when I was playing more aggro, I really loved that card because you could just put your opponent in impossible situations over and over again. Uh mm -hmm. it's a, just a hard card to play against since every one of your cards becomes a giant guided missile. Um and also you could do some really mean things with it once there were cards that you could uh like you can like if you were playing Stone Scar, for example, you could throw your units at your opponent and then get them back with False Demise, and they still have the bonus from Battle Driver yes. because the bonus was permanent. Uh, things like that, where you could really abuse it, um, made it a, a really fun and versatile card. Yes, and the activation is so cheap. <laughs> and the activation is cheap, yeah. Uh, often you would go turn six, Oni Battle Driver, create a nightmare, you know? Yes. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that list. I think Agent Serpent was maybe the uncommon that I would take the most. But I don't even know if it was the strongest uncommon. I think it was maybe the most fun. Um, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think especially because Ancient Serpent had the triple primal influence, it was like kind of what you were talking about. You weren't guaranteed to to easily be able to play it. It was really hard to pivot to an Ancient Serpent deck if you weren't already in one and you saw one in a pack. Yes. Um, all right, so what card were you hoping to open in set eight? Do you want to take this one first? Well, I had a couple. I think um, Siege Drain was maybe like the card where I'm like, I feel like I'm going to win this every time I play it. Anytime I can play a Siege Drain on turn four, I'm probably going to win that game. Uh so I think it was one of the strong, the strongest rares, and I I'm speaking specifically after all the nerfs happened. Mm -hmm. I I think that's fair. Um, yeah, Siege Train never got nerfed. Then uh, Primordial Ooze, which was the uh, the the one time spell that destroyed a relic, and then for three Primal three Shadow turned into the four eight Ooze, which killed every copy of your opponent's extra like extra copies of spells once they played a if whenever they played a spell so it i think it did it hose revenge spell oh enough? um i don't know actually i'm not sure that ever actually came up in a game yeah so i don't know about that anyway it, it hosed if your opponent had multiple copies of a good spell it hosed that. And then every turn, it made a 3-1 with Killer. It sure um, did. 
And it <laughs> felt like if you played a primordial ooze, you just you could not lose unless you were so impossibly far behind. And I I don't th- I think this was in my opinion, maybe the strongest rare in that harder to cast than Severin, maybe not as strong as OG to loot. Um, but they're just like, your opponent could have a million giant flyers and you're like, okay, you don't want to be able to hit me twice, but then I'm going to have six killer worth of damage and be able to kill your big flyer. And hold the board off forever and because those are independent units you could do things like play midnight hunt on them and make them more make them able to kill larger things you could sacrifice them to the sacrifice effects you were definitely playing because you were playing fell it just was it just sort of made everything better (laughs) i've had a chance to play a few primordial oozes over the last couple of weeks because i've been really been drawn to fell uh and it's surprising how often my opponents would not concede immediately. Yeah. And <laughs> they, I would, they would that, hang on. They'd be like, no, I can beat this. I can beat this thing making a 3-1 killer every turn. And they'll know they can't. <laughs> yeah. I, and that's the thing is like, you know, there were other really good cards in this cycle. Like Maeve, the Combray mm-hmm. one, which, you know, you drew a card every time you played a unit and a weapon. Sometimes you draw a bad card. Primordial lose. You were always drawing a 3-1 killer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you sure And were. another card. You know, it's like... Um, and then my one regret is I never, in this cycle, I never got to play a Burning Cruelty, which also seemed like a very powerful card. Burning Cruelty is, uh, is incredibly strong. I did manage to get a Burning Cruelty into play early on in the format, and that it's... If you if you start your turn with that thing, it's it's over. You do win the game. Then, uh, yeah, it's a little bit like a it's a little bit like an Oni Battle Driver that plays a card for free every turn. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, Burning Cruelty, which is the Stone Scar one, is a five six cost five four that says at the start of your turn, play the top card of your deck. If it's a unit, it gets charge and deadly. Pay five to give a unit plus five this turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um kind of does everything you want a stone scar card to do for sure. I don't know why yeah. it was so hard to actually find I, I don't I never saw those things in packs though, somehow. I guess it's that was um was that also the one that that kills a unit with, with five yeah. strength or more in its in its common form. So nobody's leaving them in packs that long. That's part of it. Yeah, I think because the front end was also playable just meant that people were more likely to take them early. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, you know, chances around. were, if you were in Stone Scar, probably were Justice. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was a safer, it was like a safer pick in that sense, I think. Yeah, so you, uh, would, right. you just wouldn't be in the situation very often where you were already Stone Scar and then uh, and then a Burning Cruelty would come around. It's much more common that a Primordial Lose will come around because it's much less likely that the players ahead of you are playing film. Yes. And they wouldn't take it as a time card. You know? Right, right, right. They also wouldn't take it as a time card. Yeah, the Burning Cruelty was in a unique situation where its front end was actually playable all by itself. None of the others really were. 
Yes. Yeah, except the primal one, but then the Praxis side of that wasn't all that great. That was the weakest of the of the payoffs, yeah. All right, so what was your card you were hoping to open? Just Severin. Just, you know, just good old Severin. <laughs> Severin's really good. Uh, Severin did get nerfed. Uh, it is now a seven-cost card instead of a six-cost card, and that is not a... Uh, and that is not an insignificant nerf. But still, um, Severn does have a way of, of uh, making the game feel like it's over uh, for a much less restrictive cost than something like Plasma Primordial, uh, which requires six-hole influence in, in two specific factions, whereas Severn of the Dark is a splashable card. <laughs> it requires two shadow for a six and now a seven drop and uh you can do that in just about any deck <laughs> and it'll be worth it so seven of the dark when it before the nerf was a six shadow shadow five seven uh, already quite good um and uh its surge ability is to play a three one piercing grief with charge life steal and revenge that dies at the end of your turn so a regular piercing grief uh seven of the dark gains life is a giant blocker itself um, and continues to uh, gain life and also create units that can be sacrificed uh, um, over time. Every time it, he, he turns your future sigils uh, into life gain and also damage if your opponent somehow can't block them. So, yeah, I, I was always hoping to open Severin. Uh, partly because of the power level, but partly just because it was uh, so easy to play him. Um, if my if my draft was open enough, um, and I tried to draft so that I was open to picking up a second faction and not locking in on a second faction too early, uh, Severin would decide my second faction all by himself. Yes. Yeah, I agree Severin was, is a very good card. I do think, like you said, it was not an insignificant nerf, and so... It brought it. The nerf brought Severn down from an unfun bomb rare to like, I don't know, uh, to, to like a very good rare in my mind. It felt, it felt beatable. It felt like you didn't automatically lose when your opponent played a Severn on six because it was so unlikely that they'd played on six now. Um, you know, what's the interesting part with Severin going up in cost is because it was a surge card, You it kind of got hurt on both ends. One is it came down later, and then because it came down later and it, you, you had to play more power to play Severin, you had less triggers for Severin. Um, which, yeah, so I, I think that yes. helped the card's power level a, a lot. Yeah, it's much more reasonable now. Um, um, it's still a very unreasonable card, though, once it's on the table. No, I agree. I mean, part of the thing with me, though, is is like, unlike some some of the really bomb rares, uh, I don't know. This is maybe this is like a, a really ridiculous comparison, but for me, my opponent playing the Unforgiven was much worse than my opponent playing the Severin. The Severin I had 
a turn or two to deal with before it blew me out. The Unforgiven blew me out. It already got the two for one and discarded my best units. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Unforgiven. I guess since Severn of the Dark and the Unforgiven now have identical costs, then it's much easier to compare them directly. So when Severn costs six and the Unforgiven costs seven, it was like, yeah, the Unforgiven's a better card because it's it's a bigger bomb. It costs more. Now they cost the same, and the Unforgiven is better. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I, I felt like uh, about that one. Plus. Your opponent always foreshadowed their Severin by playing a prize sow on one. So <laughs> sure. you knew to save a removal spell, which uh, was a much bigger tell than the Unforgiven. Where I, you're like, I've, started, I've started drafting and playing prize sows uh, just so my opponent will not use their removal on units that they should use it on because they're <laughs> waiting for me to play my Severin that I didn't draft. I mean, this just happened the other day when I... Uh, that game that on stream where I beat Tyler Tyler yeah. Cheney. Yeah, he had um, two prize sows in his deck, but no Severin. Yeah, and he played the prize out, and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> we've got to prepare for this eventual Severin. And it changed <laughs> how I played because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of an interesting uh, tip you can incorporate for the, for the next yeah. couple days. Very, very high level because only very, only people experienced with the format would possibly fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so then um, were, were there any cards you underrated at first that ended up being better than you thought? Well, I already talked about Valley Clan Sage, which ended up being a very good blocker. Um, and uh, and a and a good card draw engine later in the game. Uh, also, just symbols in general. Uh, I don't think I realized how uh, in this format symbols that create two influence but come into play depleted are pretty much just straight up fixing because uh, rather than trying to splash for a third faction, you're just trying to create a lot of influence in a single faction. And symbols are obviously a very efficient way of doing that. Plus, they hit two surges in a in a format that's uh, largely about surge. So, um, I don't think I was drafting them as high as I should have been at the beginning of the format. And then when I started doing it, it helped me a lot. Um, and then also, I think the single card that uh, that I most underestimated was Imprison. That's the six sh- uh, shadow shadow fast spell uh, where your opponent has to sacrifice two of their units. And uh, it also creates either two primal or two fire influence when you play it. Um, and I, it's it's a hard card to really evaluate because whenever you see it played, it's devastating. <laughs> and if your opponent, if it's not going to be devastating, your opponent doesn't play it. So you don't know how often it's working effectively. But it's been very effective uh, when I've seen it. Um, I, it's not that hard to engineer a situation where neither you nor your opponent has uh, a lot of units on the board. Like, you just sort of aggressively trade, and then when you finally cast your Imprison, it wrecks your opponent completely. Because probably the two units that they're trying to save and not trading are their best units. And so Imprison just takes them off the board. Um, And I've seen very good players, like the people that are currently at the very top of the charts um, 
playing in prison so often that it must be basically they're at the very top of their pick order. I agree. I think, um, yes, it was definitely at the top of Gunner uh, draft champions yeah. pick order. And Curtis is now. Yes. And I think one of the things that I didn't appreciate is um, how important the fact that it has fast speed is. Sure. Because it's a lot easier to orchestrate um, your opponent having two um, two units when your opponent attacks, and then you do some blocks, and then you play this spell um, before your opponent really like plays more units or, or you know or or whatever. Um, so yes, I think in prison is is also that card. It didn't make my list, but it is one of the cards that I didn't appreciate how strong it was. And it is a very, a very, very powerful card. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how much better it is than succumb, which only makes your opponent sacrifice one unit and is not fast. <laughs> yes. I agree. Or the one we had talked about the stone scar one where your opponent, um, sacrifices all but two units or whatever you know because that also was not fast and um made it a lot harder to orchestrate these kind of these situations yeah that was it's much harder to orchestrate like a massive go wide board stall which was where that was good than yeah. it is to sort of clean up the board first and then and then hit him with the haymaker at the end yes and then uh the two cards that i or the few cards that I mentioned. One, I agree with you, the symbols also were hard to evaluate and just went up and up and up in my pick order. Um, False Demise, uh, which was the five uh, shadow shadow card that brings the unit back from your void to your hand and then if and has revenge. And then if you have two primal, it gets plus one health and flying. This card just seemed unplayable to me when I first read it. Because you can't play the unit you get back the first time you play it, more or less, because it's so expensive. So it just felt so slow for a dark return. But because this this format in particular had such a strong Thelm deck, and I think had um, the most sort of traditionally sort of magic-like sort of control deck where you could just play a lot of shadow removal and then just have a few good top-end units to win the game with, and then you could have a false demise as your card advantage to get your haymaker back or even to just get a couple units back as you clear your opponent's board. Um, you know, so it, it was a dark return with with card advantage for that slow film deck. And... Um, I did really did not see that coming. Yeah, yeah, it is a good card. Um, it's there's a limit to the number of false demises I usually want, even if I'm playing a heavy film deck, uh, and that number is one. But I'm always really happy to pick that one up. Yes, I agree. I think I would play two in a lot of those decks, but yes, it is it is clunky, but it's a card that you do want to see in your deck. Yeah, um, I could tell how strong it was the first time I played against a um, a film deck, a good film deck, 
because of how sad I felt when my opponent cast it. <laughs> I was like, oh no, <laughs> I have to deal with their two best threats again. Uh-oh. Uh, the, the other card, I guess maybe similar to False Demise, is a Steam Blast, which is the uh, two Primal Primal card that says deal damage equal to the number of units you have on board, or deal damage to a unit equal to the number of units you have on board, and then if you have four fire influence, you also deal that much damage to the opponent's face. So the thing that I didn't appreciate um, for a very long time is that this is not, in fact, just a Skycrag card. You could, no. in fact, play this in any Primal deck and be happy because um, primal <laughs> the Primal 2 drops are Valley Clan Sages, which never die, or... Um, the Shepherds, which play multiple bodies. So Primal, it was very easy to have a lot of derpy units on the board, making your Steam Blast a very cheap and powerful removal spell. And yes, it is good. for the longest time in this format, I just never saw a Steam Blast because I was never in Skycrag. And so I would scan all my picks and just, it was an invisible card to me. And... Um, I think this was the card that went from an invisible card to a card that I am actively and happy to see. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, and it's also just sort of a good tip because we'll see other cards like this in the future too, which are very, which seem to be, which seem to, the like Steam Blast seems like it has a very specific use as like an aggressive Skycrack deck. Um, but then you have to look at the card piece by piece and and. Uh, and evaluate what it actually does in its worst case and then decide whether that's a good card by itself. And Steam Blast just happens to be a good example of a card that's good if you take away like half its text. So now on the other on the other side of the spectrum, were there any cards that you overrated? I think the biggest one was Silent Hysteria. Uh, I don't tend to overrate cards too strongly. I usually am reserved about them, but I do remember us talking about that card when the, when the set first came out. And I rated all of these fests, big fest spells that created influence pretty high. Uh, I think including Imprison, I'm not sure. Um, which seems weird that I would have underrated it, but I probably did. Even if I thought it was very good, it was better than that. Anyway, Silent Hysteria is the uh, five uh, time time fast spell. Creates either two fire or two justice. Also silence all, silences all of your opponent's units. Um... And I remember the discussion that you and I had about it where I thought it was like just sort of an efficient way to wreck your opponent's entire army. And you thought, well, why not just play a forget? And I've come around to thinking, well, forget's a lot more efficient for what it's doing. Um, it, Silent Hysteria does sometimes completely wreck your opponent's board. But you, there's usually not a situation where you're playing against a board where your opponent's special abilities are, are hurting you every turn. Um, usually there's only going to be one or two units that you need to silence, usually just one, and then having a forget, or now a rectifier, since that's boosted, uh, is a better solution to that. The other problem with it is that it doesn't have great synergy with the main, um, with the main themes of the set the way some of the other uh, similar, like large spells do. For Praxis, it's fine because that's the big spells matters uh, thing, and it does count as a big spell. But there's usually better big spells to play 
then mm-hmm. silent hysteria in that case if you're just trying to make your um your ancient machinists become five fives uh like you probably i don't know you don't like silent hysteria is fine but there's other like you'd probably rather place uh like a um the fire spell that does just a bunch of damage uh, or something like that. Yeah, uh, or even the, the seed of change or whatever. Jar. Yeah, seed of change. Like it's uh, like silent hysteria. You want to wait for the right board to play it on you, and and in that deck where you're playing big spells, you just want to play them as soon as you get them. Usually, so anyway, it's, it doesn't play that well with that, even though it's technically on theme. And then on Combray, it doesn't ramp at all. It doesn't have anything to do with what Combray is trying to do. So um, it just sort of doesn't have a a, a great home it's not a bad card you know it's still a strong card in some situations it's just very situational yeah i think this card silent hysteria is a card that's closer to what my initial evaluation of imprison was where you're like oh this is a card that will blow you out sometimes but in general will just sit dead in your hand and or not do a do five power worth um which makes it a hard to evaluate card because, you know, when your opponent plays it, it usually does a lot of work against you, but that's because your opponent chose to play it and you don't see it all the times your opponent was waiting for you to play cards worth silent hysteria thing. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to evaluate that way, but my experience has been that I either want one or zero in my decks and that there's a lot of other alternatives to that kind of effect. Yes. No, I guess that's what I was, I was saying like, while in prison, it turned out just was like, became a generically good card. Silent hysteria, I think is a situational card that will blow you out sometimes, but you almost never really want it in your deck. Though uh, there are some good players that do play it and wreck it, wreck me with it. Looking at you, Tempest Dragon King. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's that's that's about knowing what role it's playing in your deck and whether you need that card. Yeah. Or not. Uh, were there any cards that you overrated? You know, the two cards that I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even like my picks. I said kind of like what we were talking about, like lurking brute. Um, Vorpal Cutter, Flameheart Patroller. These like early cards that seemed really good. I don't, I don't know. I guess Flameheart Patroller I put on here because I assume I'm overrating it because <laughs> I I really like the card and you can pick them up at any time because they're <laughs> they're always there for the taking. Um, but they just seem so integral to, to what fire is doing. I would, I would take them all. Um, but I'm assuming I'm overrating it because no one else was taking them. And (laughs) so I guess that's, that's my card. It's a card. I, I assume I must be overrating because I get a lot of them and I feel like I shouldn't, um, which I, which is, I guess, weird that I also put Lurking Brute because Lurking Brute is the opposite, where I feel like it should be really strong, but I never see them, so they never go in my deck. Yeah, I guess they're. I don't know. I don't know how strong Lurking Brute is. I know I, I know I hate seeing one on turn two. I, I agree. Me. I, I don't think they're that strong because when, whenever I have them on turn two, my opponent also has a two drop. Uh, so, so I, I think. 
I think I am not overrating, or I must be overrating them because they're obviously not as good as I think they should be, which um, <laughs> which is a two drop that wins the game um, <laughs> every time. But, but other people are continuing to overrate them because I never see them in packs. Huh, that's interesting. All right, did you have a favorite uh, deck type in this format? That has changed over the course of the format, but uh, I'm just going to report on on where I finally landed uh, and just say Thelm. Uh, the the good old Shadow Primal value deck. Once I understood what the what the pieces were supposed to be in it to make it work, and like how many of diff uh, of each different kind of card I wanted, I had unlike the entire rest of the format, I had a really clear idea of what a good Felm deck looked like. And I knew which pieces I was looking for, when to stop taking certain cards, um, and like how, how the, how the, what the early game would look like. Uh, and so that 7-0 Felm deck that I last won with was not the one where I had the most crazy rares. Uh, although I did have a Plasma Primordial, which is a crazy rare, but I, I had other I had other film decks that had Plasma Primordials and a lot of other crazy stuff. Um, but it just, it was sort of the culmination of me gradually learning exactly uh, how strong the archetype could be and then um, having all the right stuff in it. And then this last version of uh, Set 9 Draft uh, with these particular draft packs, kind of fixed all the problems with Felm. You had all of the great shadow removal. You had Annihilate and Defile. Um, you had Eye for an Eye, which isn't a great card, but is a card that you can play if you need another rem removal card. Uh, you had Cut Ties. Um, and also in Primal, uh, you had like Polymorph and, and Lightning Strike and stuff. So you had enough removal of all types which you really need if you're going to be playing sort of this long, uh, like, gradual card advantage type game. You had Wisdom of the Elders to draw cards. You had your, like, False Demise, you know, all of the cards that, like, sort of gradually give you incremental advantage. Um, and then you had enough bombs because they put all of those big primal flyers back in the set so that you actually had a way to win the game once you sat there spinning your wheels drawing cards for a million turns. You could actually win. Um, and so all the pieces were there. It was finally really fun to play, uh, for me anyway, not so fun for my opponents, I imagine. Uh, but, um, it was like, I, uh, I don't know, uh, in a format, uh, in a format that has been frustrating for me, uh, it was nice to finally feel like I knew how an archetype worked and, and I knew how to draft it. It just sort of finally all came together. There you go. How, what was your favorite type of deck? I I think uh, for s similar reasons, I think it was uh, the the and Ambush deck. I think I I had one really fun one and really great one in the first iteration of this format. Then I think the archetype was more or less died for all of the the second iteration, and then has come back strong uh, in the this last format and. For me, I like it for a lot of the same reasons you like Felm. It's, um, you're playing at fast speed. You're doing a lot of tricky things. It's probably very unpleasant for your opponent to play. I think, actually, the deck plays very similarly to Felm, except you're also attacking with, like, a 15-5 ambush unit. Um, 
Sure. Yeah. So, so it was just like a, a, a fun deck to play. It gave you a lot of choices. It had a lot of play. And yeah, yeah, the ambush deck is fun partly too because uh, you do get to you do get to play during your opponent's turn a lot, <laughs> which really cuts down on what they know. They like their information is is cut off at the knees because you've got all the information. Yeah, and what's really interesting about that that is like not only is it just good to have it's like it's like an archetype based around rewarding for you you to do what you already want to do which is to play at fast speed against your opponent you know what i mean it's like yes playing a grizzly contest when your opponent attacks is like a pretty good move to then get further bonuses because you did that was like you draw cards and some of your units grow yeah it's great (laughs) it was just pretty sweet so i don't know that was just so much fun for me. Cool. And then I think some of the older Stone Scar decks, less so in this format, because I find it's so much harder to get a five attack unit. But it was just fun to like dark fire your opponent's face a couple times and win a game. Or to just like look like you're in you can't win and then like top deck a might weaver or battle driver and then just like hit your opponent for 20 out of nowhere and i don't know it was just those were just kind of fun decks um yeah stone stone scar had good top decks yeah and then whenever so, whenever might weaver and rampage were in the same uh were in the same format it was, <laughs> it, was it was a lot of fun if you had those cards and then it was not yeah. a lot of fun if you didn't so I, I kind of liked it as like an uh, sort of aggro combo as compared to now where it's more go widey and... And play on your curve and so forth, yeah. Yeah. All right, and then um, what card did you play that never did what you wanted it to? Well, I talked about this earlier. That was Corrosive Dagger. I, I was never able to get a deck with Corrosive Dagger in it that where it functioned the way it was supposed to. I tried drafting Mono Fire and then never saw Corrosive Dagger multiple times, so I stopped trying to do that. And uh, the times when I went all in on Corrosive Dagger, I was almost guaranteed to have the rest of Fire cut off, so it just seemed like too much of a risk uh, to me. And I saw it work against me plenty of times. It was hard. It was a hard play. Uh, sorry, it was a hard card to play against. Yeah. Uh, but I, it just, it just never worked for me, so I just stopped trying to make Corrosive Dagger decks. Yeah, my card is the same story, except, uh, uh, and I guess it's also considered a very good card, and that is Unbreakable Tradition, which is the five justice justice um, fast spell that doubles the attack and health of one of your units, and then you gain uh, two colors off of that. Um, Yeah. I, I forget which two colors. You gain either time or primal. Yeah, and you gain either time or primal. And people like this card. People play this card. Every time I put this card in my deck, I never had anything more than a 2-1 on the board, or I would top deck it in a desperate situation and not have anything to play it on. Or I would play it on a unit, and then I would immediately get 2 for one It just never did anything for me to the point where I stopped drafting it. I don't, I don't care how good people think it is i'm just never playing this card yeah that's fair uh it sort of needs a a a specific types of units to go with it um 
I don't know. I, I, I found it difficult. I've, I've actually had a closer um, experience to yours with it than than the card's reputation would suggest. Uh, but I, I, I still drafted it and played it. Um, but I was looking for it to go on like a chain with bludgeoner or, you know, something where it was a little bit broken because bludgeoner would get the influence bonus before it grew. So then mm. it became like, if you're attacking with bludgeoner as a three, three, then it becomes a five, five and then doubles. And now it's a 10, 10. And then it becomes, and then it settles as a seven, seven, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I guess like that seems great, but you're still, I don't know. I mean, that's obviously like very hard to beat. But you could just do a poor man's Im- imitation of that with the one three weapon. You know what I mean? Which sure. could also go on other units and be good. And I, th- I think Unbreakable Tradition appealed to a lot of good drafters because they got to use it against uh, against weaker drafters and really dominate them because the weaker drafter would never be expecting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I think that's, I've seen it played on stream before and it's always a little bit like that. It's like, they're not going to see this on this, this, uh, they're not going to see this tradition coming and then they don't. And then it just completely blows them out. Yeah, no, I agree. It can wreck you. It's just like for five, for five power that, that for a five power combat trick, it better wreck them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm going to play yeah. five power for a combat trick. It should really do its job. Um, all right. And then uh, what card made you groan when your opponent played it against you? And this means like, uh-oh, bad times are coming, right? Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. You ask that every time we do one of these. And it's... <laughs> yeah, and I never know. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Lurking Brute uh, because... In my experience, if my opponent plays a turn two lurking brute and I have a two two blocker, they are gonna have a way to push their brute through every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> I have never seen it where they play lurking brute, I play a blocker, and then they're like, No, my lurking brute sucks and I don't get to attack. They've always got some. <laughs> yeah. So so I groan when I see Lurking Brute because I'm like, well, the entire game is about this two drop now. I know. It's the it's the worst. It's gonna be a three, three, and a four. Like it's harder to deal with every turn. That's yeah, like the opposite gonna give it of what flying, it should be. And then you're yeah. then they're attacking you with the seven seven in the air. Yeah, that was that that it only cost them two. That's <laughs> uh, bad. I I agree. Uh mine similar is a, for a turn two play is the turn two solemn clergy. Yeah. Cause that could more or less only mean one thing and it wasn't good for you. Yeah. I don't put solemn clergies in my decks that don't have siphoner paladins in them usually. And then, uh, the other card, I don't, maybe this didn't affect people as much as it did, but every time my opponent killed one of my units with a bring to justice, I mean that's just unfortunate. What is that? That's it costs zero justice, justice, justice. It silences and stuns a unit, uh, but it, then it kills it if you also have face aegis, which is pretty hard to come by. Yeah, no, it turns. Yeah, I don't know. My, not hard enough. <laughs> not hard enough. I guess I've had multiple units killed with bring to justice, and I think part of the problem is, I is my misevaluation of this card. Maybe this is like a card I sort of underrate because. I mean, 
it's rebuke, which is kind of a playable card if you're heavy justice. But I read it and think I am never having face Aegis. I'm never picking this card as compared to thinking of it as rebuke with upside. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the steam blast thing again. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a thing that always gets me, <laughs> and so it just it make it it adds salt to the wound <laughs> when someone k- kills me with a bring to justice because I'm like that shouldn't work. You shouldn't have this in your deck. Yeah, that's fair. Although I do feel like I I I came around on the card a while a while back and was like, oh, it's a zero cost rebuke. That's probably good. Yeah. Um, but I looked at it at first and thought it's just. I don't want to think that this card is playable. It just seems <laughs> like it should be a constructed card only. Yes. Um, and then I also um, said I also said Grizzly Contest, but it would be a lot to groan every time someone played a Grizzly Contest because it happens so often. But because Grizzly Contest has revenge and it's coming back at some random time in the future, it just destroys the next 10 turns of the game for you. <laughs> it's, so, it's so annoying. Because you just sort of like, do I play my good card? I don't know. I, I, do I wait? Like, I Is it the 10th it? card and I play my good card now and kill them before it comes? Or do I play my good card and it immediately dies? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, then, rough. it's a rough play pattern. Yeah. And then what I always do is I wait seven turns and then I'm like, Ah, I just have to play my good card. This is the absolute opposite of what you should do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like buying when the stock market's going down. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, was there a card that an opponent would play that made you think I absolutely cannot lose to that card? So I'm going to ask you to uh, to to answer this question first because I have a story that ties everything together. Okay. So was there a card that you can you absolutely could not lose to? Uh, yeah, well, I guess the, the one that happened recently is Reflection. And while my opponent did not play Reflection against me, they played a card that discarded a card, and it was Reflection. Um, and they discarded Reflection, and I was like, they're playing Reflection. I better win this game. Then they played an Ancient Serpent. And got the reflection back from their graveyard. Uh huh. And then they discarded it again, I think, because I don't think they ever played the ancient. Re- they played the reflection. They uh-huh. just. Well, they're they just, using it. There, that's like the most effective use of a reflection that I've heard. <laughs> they great. were just using it as material in hand. Yeah, great. It's a card. <laughs> it did its job of being a card. <laughs> and it never drew me a card, so I guess it's better. No, than it, it, it it's it's symmetrical effect had no had no downside that game. Um, well yeah, done, and then there's it. the land's edge because because Direwolf put it in the wrong colors, and then it really feels like <laughs> it shouldn't work. And so when someone played it, it, it felt like it, it, should, it should be it should be injustice. You think? Yeah, just or primal. primal. I mean, why it primal? Put primal loves do nothing cards that are highly synergistic. Yeah, and it has the best imbue unit. Well, justice has good imbue units too. So yeah. it one of one of the two of those. Uh, Land's Edge. In case you haven't seen it in draft, which I haven't in a long time. 
is a is a a three time relic uh, that gives plus two plus two at the end of the turn to all of your stunned units. Yes, and there are a few problems with this card. One of which is the best way to deal with imbue units is to kill the stunned unit at fast speed and also kill the other unit. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, how many stats <laughs> the stunned unit had? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's not a great card in draft. But I, early on, when people were really experimenting with the format, I saw people using it and using it kind of well. But then once we all learned how to deal with imbue a little bit better defensively, you know, how to counter it mm-hmm. by taking out the the unit that was stunned, uh, Lands Edge probably became a lot worse. Plus, there's no relic synergies to speak of. If this was if Lands Edge had been if Lands if the last set with its relic themes had been in the same draft set as imbue then land's edge would be a really interesting card right i agree but but in this format it's not (laughs) so my card uh that i see and i'm like oh i do not want to lose to this card is terrazon echo uh it's not like as an openly useless card the way reflection and land's edge are uh terrazon echo is a one two for uh two primal uh it has berserk uh, and then uh, when it attacks, it gets plus one, plus one until the end of the turn for each spell you've already played this turn. Uh, and so because it has Berserk, it can get that bonus twice in one turn sometimes. Uh, so the idea is, I think, to play some cheap spells uh, and then do a bunch of damage with the on Echo and then kind of basically throw it away because it's probably not going to attack for a lot of damage again. Um, but it's a bit of a Blitz card, which Primal sometimes gets. So the most dramatic, ridiculous game I've ever lost in this format just took place last week. Someone was playing a mono primal deck against me. Their turn one. Reflection. <laughs> they cast Reflection, we both drew a card. I was like, all right, I'm probably going to be okay. Turn two, they played a Terrazon Echo. Their tur- I don't know what I did, but it didn't matter. <laughs> because their turn three... Reflection came back and cast for free. He drew a card. They cast Jump Kick on their Terrazon Echo, so my blocker was irrelevant. Uh, The Terrazon Echo attacked for four for its first attack, because the Jump Kick gives it plus one, plus one as well. And then it gained one for the Jump Kick and one for the Reflection. So it attacked for four in the air, and then attacked for six. Now it's a six-seven and my opponent played Mavaloft Hunter. Mavaloft Huntress, which is the 2-1 with Killer uh, and Imbue. So it locked in those stats and was an 8-8. So on turn 3, my opponent had done 10 damage to me in the air and now had an 8-8. I lost that game. Because <laughs> in two turns, then they played a, a, a Runescarred Bear and now they've got an 11-12 <laughs> or something, 11-11 with Overwhelm. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I could, I had removal. I killed one of the units and tried my best, but it was already, like, the stats were, were way out of whack. So I've, I've, I've only seen Reflection be good that once, but it was pretty good. <laughs> A lot of things had to go right. But the whole deck was built around just beating the heck out of me with Terrazon Echo and then locking in the stats with Imbue. And it worked. 
I I agree. I Terra's on Echo is actually closer to a, a grown card for me because it's just like when my opponent plays that, I feel like especially if they're a good player, I know that nothing good is going to come. <laughs> yeah, something's something's gonna be bad. Yeah, <laughs> the badness is coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that is that's the single hardest smackdown i've experienced in this format in a format with some really cheap combos that is that was the meanest one and because it was such an unlikely setup i feel like you know what (laughs) my opponent got that good on you (laughs) may never happen again that way all right so did this draft format teach you something that that helped you improve your limited game or were there any takeaways I guess I've touched on it a few times. This was the format that I struggled the most with since I sort of started taking draft seriously. And I think what tripped me up the most was that uh, the way the cards were costed and sort of the focus, uh, the influence matters focus of the of the set made me greedier than usual. And uh, it reminded me that I had to get back to basics a couple of times and really focus on my curve and make sure and make sure that I would be able to consistently play my cards. Because the cards required different things to be able to play them consistently this time around. And I had a tough time adjusting to that properly. Um, And I had a tough time valuing plunder correctly, because I undervalued it first and then overvalued it later, and then got back to now where I feel like I've got pretty good evaluations of all the plunder cards, and whether they're actually worth a card and how often you should play the weaker ones. Um, but all of that was difficult for me to adjust to, and I think it mostly came down to greed because there's a lot of very sort of dramatically powerful cards in this set, in the commons, and especially in the uncommons, and oh, I guess also especially in the rares. Um, and I just wanted to play all of them, and I wasn't used to being able to stuff all of these. I wasn't good at stuffing all of these cards in my deck in a way that I would be able to consistently make them work. So the times when I feel like things were working is where I really understood uh, what other elements had to be in my deck in order for me to be able to play the big, dramatic, powerful cards that you go over the top of your opponent's deck with. Uh, and that applies in in Felm, but also in practically every archetype, the one, especially ones that I really had a hard time getting used to, like Praxis. Um, I, like, I never figured out how to do that deck correctly, but I've played against people who obviously did get a handle on it and did do it well. I've seen people do it well on stream. Um, so so I feel like if I had started that process earlier and been and and decided, you know what, this de- this format does have archetypes, and I can actually focus on them if I want to, um, rather than kind of, um, I guess... I guess feeling like the I, I I felt for most of the format like it was an archetypeless format that I was just taking cards that had a little synergy with other cards and then just sort of hoping it would work and um and I think that was just me forgetting a lot of the fundamentals that I built up uh, to this point and uh, once I kind of got back to that like that whole sort of love letter to film that I said earlier in the episode is how I used to feel about Eternal all the time. Um, so I think with the new format, I'm going to get back to I'm going to get back to archetypes and uh, and and understanding things on a on a uh, on a building a deck level rather than getting hung up on card evaluations and 
now I'm now that's just like 15 different lessons, but it started out with one. The main one is no, the main one is, is to cut down on greed. I think this, this format was mostly a trap, a greed trap for me. And, uh, and I, I'm going to go into the next format really valuing, um, really valuing things other than power level in my cards and building functioning decks again. Yeah, and hopefully at least one lesson will transfer over because it looks like Plunder is back. Yeah, that's nice, and it's a good limited mechanic. Yeah. And the new combat mechanic that they're introducing, Regen, seems very good for limited, too. It seems like it'll create interesting choices. Oh, it's basically it seems, Aegis for damage. Like the seems first like game. a brain burner to me. I don't, I don't know how I feel Does about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it means... But what the the one thing that means... So, so Regen... Um, is an ability kind of like Aegis, where it shrugs off the first source of damage rather than the first thing that targets it. Um, so it will make chump blocks meaningful. Like if you have regen on a big unit and it gets chump blocked, it will take the regen off of the unit, mm -hmm. right? So it won't be uh, chump blocking won't just mean I'm delaying damage for a turn and I'm losing one of my units. It will also mean removing the regen from something. So chump blockers will have unusual value in this format so already that changes play patterns and is interesting to me yes no i i agree it'll be um it's it'll be interesting to see how it works because you could imagine yeah. it leading to board stalls but so you can but yeah yeah but then yeah it might <laughs> let's hope it doesn't yeah. but the, what the only common that they revealed with regen uh has reckless, so <laughs> that'll reduce board stalls. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then for my lesson, I think this um, this format really helped me develop these like pockets of synergy in building like little clusters in your deck around cards and sort of making these little these little clusters of cards work together in decks. And I feel like I've gotten better at that throughout this format. And this format was conducive to doing that to maximize, you know, uh, I don't know, to maximize all your cards. Because I think the power level of the cards were high, so you sort of had to um, find other ways to get edges. And that was to make your cards work well together. Yeah, that's fair. And then... Um, I think the other thing that I learned, and I guess I've talked about this before, but I think this format really helped me trust myself a little bit better. You know, despite everyone saying that fire was bad, I was consistently having success with fire decks and felt like I was drafting good decks and they were winning. And I felt like I had figured out what I wanted my fire decks to look like. Despite every, you know, despite a lot of people saying that fire was unplayable or the worst color, um, and you know, I I don't know if that means like I was wrong or I was getting lucky or I had high variance or or like or it doesn't necessarily mean that they were wrong. It just meant that there was a deck out there that worked for me and I should continue to lean into that even if other people don't like that deck yeah yeah and i think yeah that's what i was i mean that's what i was talking trying to say a couple episodes ago uh when we had tyler on 
um, and like what I attributed my success to when I'm when I am successful at draft. And it's really mostly about trusting my own instincts. And if that's something that you are learning, then I think may, may be the most valuable like lesson for eternal drafting period is to is to identify when your instincts are telling you something about this complicated game and really trusting that and you've done really well with this format rank wise right yeah I, I think so yeah so i mean it seems like it it seems like i see you up there on the list a lot <laughs> lately yeah no I, th- I this past month i had a, a really good month um so you know i i I think I still don't play the volume that I would need to like consistently get into top 20, but I have hit the top 20, which is, you know, uh, sort of a far cry better from where I was when I started this podcast. So I yeah, think that's go. a felt good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, which is maybe coloring my evaluation of this it a does. little bit. It, it certainly does. It certainly has colored my evaluation of this set, <laughs> is that I've been doing worse than usual. But I, at, even then, I, I'm not really. Like, when you actually look at where I placed month after month, I'm doing fine. I don't know yeah. why it feels worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think part of it is just like, this format does have this problem of like when you lose, you can like really lose. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. well, that turns out I had no way of winning that game ever. Yeah. That mono primal deck that I was just talking about is one uh, is sort of an extreme case, but like just that same day I had played against someone who played like an ancient machinist on turn three and then two ancient machinists on turn four. And I was like, I should just concede right now <laughs> but i'll wait for them to play the spell yeah. <laughs> and then turn five <laughs> was was absolutely a seed of creation <laughs> yes <laughs> and i was getting hit by three five fives yeah. i knew it was gonna happen there was no chance in hell <laughs> that i was not getting hit with three five fives that next turn but yeah you gotta play it out i mean it's it's sort of like yeah it's the same with like Unless you're next leveling people, like we just suggested, when someone plays a prize sow, you're like, it's yeah. coming. Yeah. Back then it was turn six, now turn seven. You're like, it's there's no way it's not there. You don't play surprise sow unless you have that severn in hand. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah. All right, and then finally, some fun quick questions oh, yeah. to close out this show. Quick. So, one thing I thought that was kind of interesting with this format um was there were some cards that were extremely powerful but didn't necessarily like it felt like there could be an upper limit so i just wanted to hear what your thoughts were so one how many is too many for corrosive daggers i don't think there's a limit but let's say four you say four? Oh, that's okay. not too many five would be too many five would be too many yeah all right in the deck that wants corrosive dagger it wants to play as many as it can you can get Okay. Yeah, uh, Tyler Chainley actually answered this question in Discord today. And uh, he said seven, which okay, I think yeah. is an impossible number to get. Because yeah, I think fair enough. So this yeah. is, he was speaking purely hypothetically. Fair enough. All right. How about Siphoner Paladins? 
Is there uh, enough I, for limit on Siphoner Paladins? I actually would say three. I find a deck awkward if it's playing four or more, but probably that's wrong. Probably the actual number is unlimited. Yeah, that's. I think people think because how they synergize with each other that... Yeah, you can sacrifice one Siphoner Paladin to another Siphoner Paladin. So two. it feels like you should be able to play an unlimited number of them. But I have found that if I play too many Siphoner Paladins in a, in an otherwise good Justice deck, that it actually weakens the deck, and it would take too long for a quick question to explain why. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, Tyler Cheney does not agree, though, and says yeah. eight. Yeah, fair enough. Of course, right. we have to Grizzly remember that contest. Tyler is a huge troll. <laughs> uh, Grizzly Contest 2, for me, is the maximum number. How many is too many? I don't know. Three. Yeah. I think four is too many. I had a deck recently. I I drafted four. I played three. Mm -hmm. There is some diminishing returns because sometimes that revenge bites you in the butt. Um, so it actually, I think it's, in often cases, for me, it feels better than combust because you get that second kill. But um but but they don't stack as well as Combust does. No. No, that's true. It, it's always a little bit out of your control. All right, Valiant Leaps. Well, obviously, in the deck that wants them, uh, which is any Huru deck, uh, you, I, I mean, I will replace any number of spells with Valiant Leaps. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, for me, here's my, here's my Tyler answer, where I think nine is too many, and eight is just right. All right, that's a, yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering, I yeah, I I guess I would go lower on that just because I sometimes lose with decks that have too many combat tricks. Sure. Um, all right, and then uh, Twin Hex asks, what are some cards in this format that you hope to never see again? Uh, I have to say Corrosive Dagger because at this point it's on brand. Um, and on, on all of the unplayable commons such as the you know the foreshadow uh common relic weapon whatever that is yeah because i don't i mean it's not like i see anyone play it but then that just means it's a garbage card that we shouldn't have in our draft packs yeah um, here's my semi-serious answer in that vein is shatter a hundred percent dire digital is going to put shatter in the draft packs it's some format where they have like two cards that stun something yeah and it's yeah. really situational cards we we really don't need yeah and but um, as far as cards the, that really uh, mess up play patterns uh basically siphoner paladin and corrosive dagger are the two that sort of dominated the format for me yeah and then for rares i think unforgiven gosh i dislike that <laughs> card uh yeah fair enough and all of the um all of the transform cards. Yeah. They're just, they're they're just way too powerful for rares. I, I, I understand they're color restrictive, which is why they're quote unquote allowed to be. But they but, also feel like huge gifts if you're able to play them and then totally useless rares to open if you can't. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's, it's very random. I, I hope they're not in there again. All right. Uh, well, you answered this question. Does reflection have a home? Any at all, really, I would take anything. I know, like I, have, yes. I had a whole tale. Yeah. A tale of woe. Oh, that was, 
That's some foreshadowing there. Uh-huh. Um, all right, Might Weaver, Battle Driver. And that depends on what other cards are in the format. Uh, Battle Driver by default, but if Might Weaver has friends to play with, Might Weaver. Okay, Might Weaver or Spirit Weaver? Spirit Weaver. And yeah. that's just my personal, you know, I don't play Fire as much in this format, so. Did we ever figure out how to evaluate Beseech the Throne? No. Nope. But I do think it's a slow card, and therefore it goes in decks that want to play that are playing for the long game because it's value. You know, it turns sigils into draw spells, and it helps smooth out your curve. Those are the two main things it does, uh, because it's essentially just a plunder card that replaces itself. And yes. uh, I, yeah, in I the think dragon it's a deck that I was. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. In the dragon deck that I was talking about at the beginning of the show, felt like the first deck ever where I was like, oh, this is a deck I'm really happy to have Beseech the Throne in. And that was because I had a lot of different, you know, I needed, I was Menace, I needed three different colors, and I had a bunch of expensive dragons that I would be happy to plunder into a sigil because I wanted to get to a lot of power and because all of my cards were great because they were all giant flyers. I wasn't worried about plundering my like one bomb because I had more where they came from. And also it benefits you to draw another card from your deck because it's likely going to be a good card, right? Like if, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good situation for it. I do think it's a mistake to play Besiege the Throne in an aggressive deck that wants to be attacking every turn, because I saw that a lot, as people would have an aggro deck, and they would, like, turn one, play a 2-1, here comes Kazuo, turn two, Besiege the Throne. Uh, (laughs) I'm probably going to win that game if I'm playing defense, you know, because they took a turn off. It's not great. Uh, Yeah. uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that Besiege the Throne... Um, is not a card that goes in every deck, but it's it's very good in the kind of deck that you just described, and also pretty good in Felm, although I don't like to load up on them. It depends on how many two-drops I have, so how likely am I going to be? Do I need something to do on turn two because I don't have enough two-drops? Then Besiege the Throne fills that, in, fills that gap in pretty well. All right. And then finally, uh, Sizzle, Sizzle Steam asked us our thoughts on all of the cards that were nerfed this format. Oh, that's there's too much to say about all that though. There's too much to say. I think here's how I would put it. Here's the cards that got nerfed. Trick shot, um, lost lifesteal, Severin as uh, costs one more now. Cut purse went from two health to one health. Backbreaker costs one more. Eager Deputy went from two health to one health. Lawman went from two health to one health. I don't care about that one. Nope. Helio costs one more. Toluts Minus is no longer permanent. Ijin no longer buffs itself, and Ubsat now only hits multi or only hits single it? single faction units. Now only hits single faction units and lost to health. Yeah, I think all of the rares getting nerfed. Great, I think it all made the format For limited. better. We're talking about limited in limited terms, right? Yes. Yeah. None of these, I think, none of these were for limited. I think all the rares, though, helped limited be a better format. I think lo- trick, I think Trickshot losing Lifesteal also helped it be a better format, especially because Justice was so dominant. Yes. I think Backbreaker going up one 
was, I mean, it was already a two faction card, so you didn't see it all the time, but it made it a, a fairer card. I think Eager Deputy and Cup Purse were bad nerfs for Limited. Sure. They made the cards, they, they weakened the cards too much for Limited. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then Helio, I actually think, is kind of fine at five for Limited, but... Uh, but also, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter, exactly. All right, so you, that's my... Yeah, because you don't want to play Helio when you don't have enough Primal Influence to make it pay off anyway, really. You're never playing it as a five-powered 2-2 um, two, two flyer. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think it hurt the card too much, um, but I don't think it was too overpowered. So a mixed bag as far as the nerfs. Um, they never nerf things based on limited. They're always going to nerf them based on constructed, and then the fallout will affect limited in a yeah. few ways. Though I think no, I I don't. I think mixed mixed bag is maybe too strong. I think they were good because most of the cards that they nerfed were unfun and limited, and it made them at least reasonable. Well, we did that whole episode on how ridiculous the bombs were back, uh, because I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> back near the beginning of the format. Back and a when I wanted things. Yeah, back when I wanted things. Back when I experienced emotions. It was a good time. Uh, the uh, some of these rares that were nerfed were some of the were right near the top of the list because they were stupid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. So I think the nerfs were good. I wish okay. they hadn't hit Cup Person Eager Deputy, but I'm glad they nerfed all the rares that they did. Cool. All right, and then finally, my final and totally useless segment, but dang it, I spent this whole format not opening or dusting any cards so that I could tell you all this. But these are my top drafted commons and un and. My top drafted and least drafted common from each color. So you guys can see where I was to this format. And actually, everything was surprisingly balanced. Okay, number one drafted um, fire card, Corrosive Dagger. Drafted 45 of them. Least drafted fire card, Overheating Minibot at 15. In time, it was a tie. Blur Haze Worm and Disappear were 43. Worldly Cleric at 20. Chain Whip Bludgeoner, 53. Enter the Monastery, 14. Valley Clan Sage, 54. Shatter, 18. Grizzly Contest, 47. And Prize Sow, 10. Okay. Makes it look like you mostly drafted Huru, but that's not true, is it? That's not true. I hated Huru. I don't actually... <laughs> <laughs> So statistics I don't, I don't, don't lie. Happened, <laughs> you were cat. You were drafting a lot of chain whip bludgeoner valley clan sage decks. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I definitely drafted a lot of chain whip bludgeoners. I'm a little surprised that the valley clan sage is so high. I think both. Sh I've literally never played a shatter, even though <laughs> I have 18 of them. I think part of it is primal was always open, so you just ended up with all the primal cards. So um, the last pick in a lot of packs was Valley Clan Sage, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's my favorite primal card, though. No, I, it's my favorite primal card, too. It's my favorite card. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but... Statistics don't lie. 
<laughs> All right. So I think that I think that was a good goodbye. I think this is one yeah. of our better sunset shows, Hots. Yeah, thank you. I agree. I think it's a, a, a nice bittersweet uh, tone for a for a bittersweet format. <laughs> So that is the end of our show. So thank you again to all our patrons for making appropriate for a set called Argent Depths, which is like the golden depths, both good and bad in one. Why, why am I doing this? Okay, I'll let you finish. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. Why not? We... Does the show really need an end, Hots? No, I don't think so. No, the show just can keep going. We should cut it off in the middle of a, of a sentence and people can imagine the rest of the show. All right. So, okay. yeah. So join us on Discord. There will be a link in the show notes. Give a thumbs up to all the Raven Dragon Reddit posts so people see the show. Um, I don't know if it's helping, but the last two episodes, people are listening again. We were kind of going in a, a downward trajectory on listenership, but we're back at we're back up to our old numbers, so uh, keep doing that, listeners. Keep listening. Um, tell your friends. Tell people who aren't listening to listen. Suggested this a long time ago, but if you have any brothers or sisters, loved ones, you can have them put <laughs> download the show on their podcast app. Makes me feel good. And uh, don't forget to send in all your seven-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night. Bye-bye.